Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Likes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. You're listening to this podcast in various ways, but the most important ways would be, or the most efficient ways would be, either through my blog, which is lordgaul.podbean.com, or you are in iTunes and you enter Warman Kickfighting Show, and my show pops right up. So I am going to continue a conversation that I had on Twitter the other day where I replied to something that I touched on, and I feel like I could go into it a little bit more in depth. I talked about uh, Akpracha, or Akpracha, depending upon who you talk to, Mnyothan, um, and the potential he had to be one of the better stars uh, in you know, kickboxing, a guy who came from Muay Thai made the transition over. And then it got me thinking, I've already started this series where I've been talking about athletes who showed all the potential but weren't able to turned it into K1 multiple-time champion or turned it into glory kickboxing champion. But there are people out there who had the ability and showed the skill set, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. So I'm going to go down four guys today who I think really did show a lot of potential and a lot of skill, but for whatever reason, uh, and I'll give those reasons, they weren't able to have success at the highest level like a lot of people were seeing right when they started. So if you look at a guy like Gago Drago, for example, uh, Gojago had a great run, got to get to the K1 World Grand Prix. I'm uh, doing a current kickboxing highlight series that I'm going to produce. And um, as I've been going through a lot of old videos, I saw Gago when he gets his first win at the K1 World Grand Prix, gets a victory over Albert Krauss. Between the fight, between that fight and his fight with Bokawa, it shows him walking out of the ring and he's just emotional, tearful, dream come true. He was able to be one of the better prospects of all time. And to this day, he's one of the top three kickboxing prospects I've ever seen in my life. In terms of from the beginning to the heights that they reached, he's in that discussion. But once he got that win, I remember thinking, man, it meant the world to him to just get that win. So he got to the semifinals. And again, he was in a really tough era and that comes into play. But um, he's not one that I would put on this list. The gentleman that I'm going to put on this list really showed the skill but weren't able to get to those heights, weren't able to be a everyday household name in kickboxing. And when you hear them and you look at them, it's not the whole group, it's just some of them, but you're going to say, okay, I can see an argument for why you could see that way. So first of all, I'm going to start off with the person who got this all going. As I mentioned, Akpracha Minyothin. Akpracha is a guy who was a very good stadium fighter, stadium champion, He's Olympic welterweight champion, so that's 147. If you look at the history of kickboxing, when we've gotten good athletes to come over from Muay Thai or Full Rules Muay Thai, most of the time you're going to see them in 141 or 147. The 141 division in particular, you know, with guys like Gilson Klai, for example, that is one of the premier divisions in Thailand. So when I first got into the sport and I really fell in love with it, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, the big names that we always focused on for the stadiums were who was the 141 champion, who was your 130th champion, and then some people like the 122, which is a little bit smaller than I was used to, but the guys that I really paid attention to were the 141s because I thought that they had the opportunity to go out and fight other high-level international guys at some period of time, in particular because the ties usually fight around their walk-around weight a lot. So if you look at Bokao and his heights, he usually got to the, you know, to Japan weighing maybe 71 kgs and he fought at 70 kgs. 
A lot of times he was 69 kgs and fought at 70 kgs. He was always the lightest guy. At most, I think he was 71. And I don't even think he was 71 kgs. Most of the time, he was close to 70 so uh, or a little under it. So when you get someone who moves in, that's what the expectation is. When you fight a tie from all over the world, they're usually fighting at their walk-around weight, and the Westerners are cutting weight. When we first heard about uh, Ekprecha, it wasn't in one of the situations where it's like he had the opportunity to fight in the K1 World Grand Prix. He had the opportunity to, you know, uh, get good management. The thing that burst him on the scene was Fabio Pinka in 2012 was, uh, in March of 2012, was set to fight Bocao. And uh, uh, La Nuit des Titans is one of the all-time great promotions. And it has been doing things for a very long time. And it has put together some of the best fights and best fighters from France for years. Uh, anybody who's an anybody at some period of time seemed like they fought for the promotion. So Fabio Pinko was one of the early stars. And Fabio and his gym, Nasser K, they have a long history of going against elite ties, bringing them in, testing their best against, you know, the, the best in the world. And win, lose, or draw, they kept producing him. And they had some, some, some victories and they had some losses. But this particular was Fabio Pinka, who's probably the best all-time, or at least in the top five all-time um, knock-mise to come out of France. He for sure, for me in my era of life, he's the best full rules Muay Thai fighter of my life. Now, I know there's uh, Youssef Bohanan is another option, you know, another guy who's killing it right now. But, like, Fabio Pinka, resume-wise, will probably go down in history as number one. So he gets this opportunity to go against Akpricha. Like, like he gets, you know, Akpricha gets, excuse me, gets the opportunity to go against Fabio Pinka. And he goes out there and he wins a decision. And Pinka, you know, was game because Pinka is good. But that was his first very high international opportunity. You know, he had just, you know, uh, Prakasang uh, was the guy who he beat for the Lumpini title. He beat him back to back. He KO'd him in a second one. So he's going in there uh, on a really high note. He actually fought a month before the Fabio Pinka fight. And he came in on a KO, had a little bit more of a reckless style, had the, you know, the power to really not just do well, but uh, the kind of recklessness where you want to see him fight. And that is something that comes up with a lot of guys that are tied. The question is, do they play the game? Or if they really believe they're better, they try to get you out of there. That is a question that comes up. When I look at that question, I look at the, uh, uh, I preach his ability. I was like, you know, this guy really does have the tools to be extremely successful in a high at kickboxing. Like he can do it. He can make the transition. He is the right kind of entertaining and reckless. And he's not going to sit there and play the game, you know, uh, high kick, straight left, step to the bot side. He's going to go for it. And that's going to put on entertaining fights. So he gets the Fabio Pinka win, gets a Yusuf Bohannon win. And that's very early in Yusuf's career. He, he gets a KO victory over Marco Piquet, a guy who had good kickboxing resume, uh, you know, in Holland. And I'm saying, okay, it's starting to come together for him. Beats Tiago Teixeira. Beats Johan Ladon, which is very important. Another win over a very good French fighter. And so the ties got things rolling. Jordan Watson comes down there. He beats Jordan Watson. Frankie Giorgi for, uh, uh, in um, Milan. I believe that's when that fight was for Yakao. Uh, the Australian, very good win there. Yuri Best Mertney. At the time, Yuri was on fire because he had just won. Um, uh, he'd had a lot of success fighting in Italy before it, and uh, he had done a great job of building his brand. It was a good win at a good time. Then comes one of the strangest 
losses because he was able to recover afterwards, but it's the first loss that kind of showed the flaws. He gets a very quick KO loss to Kareem Gaji. At this time, I thought Gaji was going to be the guy. Gaji is, um, uh, he fought up in weight. He fought at 67 KDs before. So most of the fights that I mentioned were a little bit smaller. Yuri Bismartini, I believe that was at 70 KGs. But he fights, fights Kareem Gaji at 72.5 KGs. One of the coolest KOs you're ever going to see. Kareem Gaji really put together a quick combination flurry that got him hurt, put together another one, and gets one of the biggest uh, left knee to uh, right overhand KOs you're ever going to see. It was beautiful. It's one of the coolest KOs of my lifetime. That loss, followed by an Enrique kill draw, slowed his momentum some. Didn't kill it, but slowed it. So then he gets some more good names under his resume. Warren Stevelman's, which is, he's probably one of the uh, better journeymen in all of kickboxing. Will fight anybody. Uh, he's been in there with all the best. Uh, Tameko uh, Makino, Tomoyoki Noshikawa, Albert Krauss is his glory opportunity after that. But he wins a split decision over Albert. And that was one of the times where people started to wonder, all right, what's going to come from this career? The reason why that brought about the question is because Krauss, Krauss won the K-1 World Grand Prix in 2002. So he's getting Krauss on the other side of his career, and Krauss fought him really tough. I think a lot of people thought that Akpresha would blow him out or win in dominant fashion, but it wasn't to be the case. So that slowed his momentum, and that was his big opportunity and glory. Goes and gets Yusuf Bohannon victory uh, in France, so that's the second time win over there. Roman Mailoff victory. Dylan Salvador, it's a big-time victory. Then comes the losses. He gets a uh, uh, Zionist Zoev Kale loss. He gets a Steve Moxon loss in Kunlun, and that was in the extra round decision. And a Maracagorian loss, which no shame there. We all know what Maracagorian ended up becoming, but Maracagorian gets a Kale there. But this is the end of his momentum. At this point, I don't think anybody, this, these series of losses, I don't think any person was thinking, okay, this is the guy to take kickboxing forward this is a guy who's going to be a legit name those that streak of three fights was the thing that pretty much stunted his growth outside of that you know his management team and focusing on china and not going out to the west all this momentum was halted he still had a good victory here and there uh he had a dalbeck victory a kulbin victory but overshadowed by a ja uh, um, jabba askaroff loss overshadowed by a masad Mane loss and then at the end of it you've got a nurla Malel loss in Kunlun, and that's like towards the end of it. That was 2017. He just fought again just recently, and he had a um, uh, another loss. But again, we're talking about someone who's probably been in the game for a while, and they're at the end of it. But when you look back on the scope of their career and you ask yourself the question, was this person the kind of elite that we thought they were going to be? And unfortunately for him, it wasn't the case, you know, but... Then, I mean, you've, you've got fights for him going back to 2003. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you check his wiki, he's got a lot of history. So 2003, we're talking about 16, 17 years of high-level combat sports, especially since he was fighting in, you know, both the big, the major stadiums. That's a hard road. So he probably got his opportunity a little bit later in his life, which affected him. But he's still a super talent. He still is a phenomenal athlete. Uh, he still had a pretty solid career. He still, in particular as a tie, had a really good run, uh, you know, excuse me, as a uh, stadium fighter and then a um, the international opportunities. He got to do things that most did not. So he had a great run. He just was not what we thought. He did not take over that mental. Guys like Sid Shai moved ahead of him. Uh, 
and I think Sinshire probably had more eyes thinking that he'd have success as a kickboxer, but he did some good things. He really did. Uh, had a good run, but this game isn't meant for everybody to be an all-time great. It's the fight game, and some people just have really good careers, not great careers. Next person I'm going to talk about is someone that I mentioned shortly before, and again, he's not like super old, so it's not like the, you know, he's going to the funeral home or anyways, but 39 years old. His best days were behind him, and he had a good run when he had them. We are going to talk about the aforementioned uh, beautiful KL victory, Kareem Gaji, and what he did in his career. Kareem Gaji, first of all, overall, his career is phenomenal. His career is phenomenal. He really did have a great run. There are some really, really exceptional wins in his career. Like Overall, I would say he had a Hall of Fame-level career if we had a Hall of Fame. But I really do believe that this guy is an exceptional talent who had a lot of big-time victories. But, man, he had all the charisma and all the ability with the, 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 you know, the gadget boy, the breakdancing. He had all of that to go with a good fight record if only he could have sustained it and beat elite guys. And that was the trouble. When he most needed to beat some of the top names, he'd run into some walls. He's got some really good wins, but again, it's just big win isn't necessarily big name. Big win is big name at big time. I think it's very important that I establish that difference because it, it's a significant one. So I'll go back and look at some of the fights in his career. He is doing his thing in Thailand. He's beating a lot of good guys, a lot of guys in the area, a lot of guys that people, or excuse me, his time in France, a lot of names that you guys would be familiar with. Victory over Johan Ladon. Okay, very important to have that victory if you're going to be a good fighter in France. Victory over Karim Ben Mansour, two victories over him. Important name to have, a lot of you guys are familiar with that name. Um, victory over Maraka Gorian, very early in his career. So as I said before, you see when you look at the scope of his career, there's some pretty good names in there, some pretty elite names in there. Okay, So that gets it all started. He's building his resume. He's getting these wins. Uh, then he gets a Yotes and Clyde Fairtex loss in Hong Kong. Not the end of the world. Still a good fight. Good, still a good fighter. That was a tie fight extreme. One of his big opportunities outside of France early in his career. You know, he fought in China a couple times, but that was a, a, another big opportunity for him. So then we move forward. He got some a series of wins, uh, you know, for box uh, in deep. Uh, it's a promotion there, Explosion Fight Night, also a promotion that he fought for in France. So he went back to his winning ways, had a loss to Norfolk Fairtex again. No shame there. Norpol knew how to play the game. He was very, very good. Um, then he goes on the streak that I think is very important for his career. He gets Dimitri Valent victory. Uh, Luis Reese victory. He gets Johan Ladon victory. He gets the Ekpritia victory, as I mentioned before. One of the coolest KOs you're ever going to see in your life. He gets a Darko Delic victory. That was him moving up the ranks, proving in both boxing, or so both kickboxing and Muay Thai that this guy is elite. Then comes the series of fights, I think, that really kind of, I won't say marred his career, but kind of determined what he's going to be. You know, like, like it, it stunted the growth of the talent that we were seeing for him. And it wasn't a lot of losses. It's just when the losses happen. He gets the fight with Nicky Holtzkin, and he is stopped by a cub, and Nicky Holtzkin was, was winning the rounds. Uh, he gets a loss there. Gets another win over years, Bresson Mertney, and then gets the Joseph Valentini fight. Uh, and a fight, again, that he showed some good skill in, but Joseph Valentini was able to sustain the high-level kickboxing, the combo work 
and he's able to get a stoppage right at the end of the third round. I was there for that one in Chicago. Good stuff. Alex Schmidt was a victory, but it wasn't enough to get that momentum back. And then he gets Alexander Setsurenko, and he loses in the welterweight world tournament and uh, reserve match. So the three losses that he had, Nikki Holtzian, who was the best of the era, TKO stopped there. Joseph Antolini, who went on to be a glory champion, um, gets the victory there. And then you have Alexander Setsurenko, who had a good run, but, you know, wasn't glory champion. That's in Japan. So those are three opportunities that he had to get wins on the biggest stage, and he wasn't able to capture them. Uh, unanimous decision loss and two TKO decisions loss. He was able to recapture form and get some kickboxing victories. But after that, you know, just some decisions that kind of led him in a direction that weren't the best for him. Uh, he had the um, Mustafa Haida victory. That was good. Alexander Setsurenko, he met him in an organization outside of glory, get a victory there. Um, Johan Kangulo was a semifinal victory um, a, um, in the Milan tournament. But then he lost to Marcel Grunhardt by decision in the fight right after it. So the moment it looked like he was going to build some momentum, a win followed a loss. So the best win, I'd say, of his career in terms of big level eyes on you victory was the Johan Kangulo victory. But it was overshadowed by the fact that Marcel Grunhardt went on to win that and then go on to be a you know glory champion down the road for his career. After that, he goes back to... Uh, you know, contract decisions, and he makes a decision that he's not going to continue with glory. He's going to try belt or kickboxing. You know, whether it was he wasn't re-signed or, or he wanted to go in a different direction, he does the kickboxing, uh, belt or kickboxing, which unfortunately for him was very short-lived and didn't give him another opportunity to be elite. He had a Mustafa Haida victory, uh, which won him the tournament. Very close fight there against Haida, but that won him the belt or kickboxing championship. Then he loses that championship, or he doesn't fight for it. I'm not, I can't remember the situation. But he fights Sultan uh, Laskas, loses there. Then he beats Luca Nivola, and then he has Zoltan Laskas again, and he wins the second one by split decision, lost the first one by split decision. And then he goes against Raymond Daniels for that uh, Bellator kickboxing title, and he loses on a stop, at the, uh, on a cut stoppage at the end of the round. Then after that, a Diego Colado loss. Uh, a Yuri Bersmerny loss when they're both older in Bellator kickboxing. And then he went on a four-fight winning streak against guys that aren't the best. But now 39 years old, more than 103 wins. I look back on his career and I go, man, the big stage opportunities that he had that could have moved him into that elite, elite, one of the first names you think of when you think about the division, he had those opportunities and it just didn't go his way. And that is the game. That is the sport. And I think that would we be talking about him differently if he beat Nikki Holtzkin that first time? Would we be talking about him differently if he became glory champion? He had some good opportunities. He still had a really good career. And if you look at the bulk of his career, you would say, you know what, resume-wise, he would be able to get in. But he didn't put himself in a position where he became a transcendent star one way or the other. You know, like he wasn't a guy that you loved or a guy that you hated. And I think those are the, the difference. So if you look at Rembi Bonjowski, he was three times K1 World Grand Prix champion. What makes him special isn't just that he was the champion, but there was a group of people that hated him, hated his decisions, uh, hated the way he fought, hated that he understood the rules of the game. Uh, if he wasn't winning by Super KO, they preferred Barter Hari. They like, 
he should have got up. But there's there's something around the aura of Roman Gronkowski. There's something around Peter Arts and the head kicks and the period of time. Remember when K1 had that advertisement, who can beat Peter Arts? That was their advertisement going into a, a K1 event. He didn't have that opportunity or he didn't have those victories. So we don't look back at him in that way. We look back at Nikki in that way. We say, Holskin, there's a period of time where this guy was the combo king. And you always wanted to see him fight. He represented the sport at the highest level. So definitely had those opportunities for sure to get the kind of wins. But it didn't go that way. And because of it, that is why we have a different person uh, as K1 champion or, or as that era's best guy. He has the tools. It just didn't come together for him. So going to go ahead and continue down this list. Next person I'm going to talk about is... You know, he's technically still young enough to do something. So I won't throw this name out all the way. So I'm going to save it for another day. I'm going to save that for another day. I knew someone different. That The person I was going to mention was quite young, uh, 32. I'm just going to wait a little bit and see if something better comes. But anyways, I'm going to go to another name, Steve Moxon. Steve Moxon is a talent, you know, very, very talented kickboxer who did a lot of good things, but in the end, the consistency of his style against elite opposition really made things tough for him down the stretch. But at one period of time, this guy was the next. So to understand Steve Moxon, you have to understand Australian kickboxing and Muay Thai. There is a strong history of talented athletes uh, in the Oceania area. You know, like your Jordan Ties, like your Mike Zambides, like your Jowin Pars, your Bruce McPhees, you know, like... You've got a strong community of people in that area that you're like, this person's the next. A very, very strong community there. When I look at that, um, that time, you knew that because there were so many great fighters, there's this opportunity to produce the next great fighter. So when it comes to that part of the world, it's not, will there be a next guy? It's a, who's the next guy? And the thing that made Moxon in particular, you know, someone that people gravitated towards is Moxon fought in a style that they were familiar with. Steve Moxon was able to go out there and compete and, and fight at a very high level. And he was able to do that with the style that Mike Zambides had. Zambides with the shortest, probably the shorter guy in the division, but he had the power punching style. He had the weave. He's as close to Mike Tyson and kickboxing that were ever going to happen in terms of like the way he fought. So like, um, it's the, you know, the small punches, the, the, the hooks over straight shots, the, you know, he still had the straight shots too, but like he just had a feel for landing big power offense. Uh, clearly if you break down Tyson, I'm a big Tyson fan. Uh, if you watch his fights, he does have more of a rhythm to it that opens up those big overhand shots and straight shots, something that shorter guys do to taller guys. But if you look at just like highlights, you would see Mike Zambini's highlights are very comparable to the highlights that you would get from Mike Tyson. So he comes out, he's got that style, and he's banging away, and then he starts to develop some names on the resume. So he starts off his career, things are going good, then comes, I would say, his first really significant victory uh, after a draw with Jordan Ty earlier in his career. He gets a victory over him in 2011. Then he gets... A victory over Bruce McPhee. It is a changing of the guard thing that must happen. It's so important. I say it all the time. 
it's important for the young generation to take out the old generation before they move into prominence. Uh, it's it's just it means that you, you have handed over the mantle of who's great at kickboxing in the area, and that is vital. You got to have that part of it. So looking at what's vital and looking at what's important, I, I look at these you know victories and I see the Bruce McPhee victory and I go, okay, if you don't have John Parr, that's the other one to have. Then he gets the West Caper fight, and that is one of the better fights that you're going to see. The West Caper fight was really entertaining. West Caper's a guy who's good that nobody really got to know about, uh, but West Caper victory was good. Then he fights Frank Georgie from the area, loses a split decision, but he's still game. Then split decision went over uh, Expedito uh, Valen. The uh, near Stani victory was by KO. The um, Giannis uh, Maxilo Polis victory. And then, of course, the Mustafa Abdelali victory, which was by KO. He is now doing what he's supposed to do, and he's starting to win by stoppage against solid opposition. And now everyone's like, this is the guy. should be noted that he's doing this a little bit heavier than 70 kgs. Enter what becomes a changing point in his career. He loses to Johan Ladon, no shame there. Then he gets the glory opportunity, and he loses to Jordan Watson. At this period of time, People are starting to wonder, can you pick this guy off a little bit better than we think? And the reason why I say that is because he is in fights where he needs to get a knockdown or something big over the top for him to get a decision. Because if you just play the game with him and you guys are just banging it away, he's got a chance to win the rounds. But if you play a touch and go, if you play just the system of, uh, you know, play the game as the ties say, you can outpoint him. And I think that it started to really show up in the LaDon and Watson fights where they're like, okay, I see this guy loading up and stuff. I know where to be. I know where not to be. So that started this, everybody paying attention to where is this headed? Like, it's very important that you mention that part of the career. So you've got Jab Askarov, and uh, that victory was important. Another year, best Martin victory. Then I'm there in Gloria, Chicago. I'm there. And he's fighting Reese McAllister. And Reese McAllister is doing everything right, playing the game, scoring well. Reese McAllister gets himself in trouble with a big overhand. And all of a sudden, McAllister loses the fight that he's winning. And the aura of Moxon is still there. He still has the ability to people put people down. Then comes a stretch of fighting that proved that if he's been able to get those victories, we would be looking at him as one of the greater fighters of all time, like one of the greater fighters of the last 10 years. But because he had such struggles at this next strip, you know, part of his career, Moxon is just is seen as a good fighter, but he wasn't able to enter the realm of greatness. Now, again, he doesn't mean that he's not talented, doesn't mean that he doesn't have good wins, but to move yourself into that next category, the Hall of Fame type category, the names that I'm about to mention, if he was able to beat three-fourths of these names, we'd be talking about him that way. Unfortunately, it didn't go his way. And we will run those names down now. First of all, we have an Andy Sauer loss and shoot boxing. Uh, now, again, he doesn't know shoot boxing rules, but it was kickboxing and he lost. He has a Nicholas Larson loss, and that was in glory at Istanbul. So another glory opportunity he gets the loss. Gets a Brad Riddle victory, Riddell. Riddell is a very solid kickboxer. That was super early in his career. Riddell now fights in mixed martial arts in UFC. Jabba Askarov loss. Uh... Gets a victory over Marco Tenori, but nobody knows that name as much. Then he gets an opportunity to fight Bokao and Top King. Gets stopped by elbow. 
then he gets the Akpracha victory, as I mentioned before, extra round extension. Uh, I mentioned it when I was talking about Akpracha. Then you have the Andy Risty loss by TKO. Gets a victory in Holland. And then this is the end stretch of his career. Robin Van Roosmalen loss. Mike Zambidi's loss. Uh, Enrico Gokokia loss, who is just a you know uh, uh, super talent that went into boxing. And then a Morocco Gorian loss. So of the elite names that I mentioned, Akpriacha was the only one he was able to get a victory over. Uh, outside of that, he lost to Andy, he lost to Askarov, he lost to Bokal, he lost to Robin Van Roosmalen, he lost to an older Mike Zambides, uh, lost to Andy Risty. Those are elite names, and if he was able to capture at least victories over half of them, I think it would have changed the way that we look at his career. I really do. But unfortunately, because he wasn't able to do that, it just changed, changes how history looks at him. He's a good fighter, had a solid career, but wasn't able to accomplish greatness and it was kind of there for him it just didn't happen but it's important to note that when you look back in history you shouldn't be naming 15 guys in a weight division you should be naming three you know like that's just kind of how it goes so special guy you know a, a, a interesting talent a fun entertaining fire to watch any, any day of the week but he just wasn't able to capture greatness it's just kind of how this game is we will finish off with Shahid Al-Hajj, who is one of the more entertaining fighters uh, who just had one of the, it's almost like it just kind of fell off a cliff one day when he showed all this potential, and all this skill. You thought this guy was going to go somewhere. This guy was going to be something. Uh, had good success in kickboxing early on. People looked at him and they were like, this is the guy. This guy is going to be something. It just didn't happen. And that is this game. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. So you look at Shahid's early part of his career, and you see that he's building up the victories over the local talent. You know, a Werner Stell victory, a Khaled Lazar victory. Um, then he gets a step-up opportunity. First step-up opportunity against Valdir Shabari. Very talented guy, very great dude. Shabari does so many good things in the kickboxing community in Holland. And he does it. He did all his fighting career with one eye. You know, he, he just found a style that works for him. Great guy, great walkout. Loses that fight, no shame there. Valan Basha loses the, uh, gets a victory there, loses to uh, Kayser, and then he gets a Peter Hose victory, a William Deander victory, and a Samkor Ketmanketep victory, and that is the moment where you're like, okay, this guy is showing some skill. I think something could come from this. Loses to Sanchenau, uh, loses to uh, Marco Piquet. Um, good guys, tough fights, not the end of the world. I believe it's Sanchez, if, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, but anyways... Um, the Keochi, uh, Kikuchi victory was shoot boxing in Holland. And then he gets another couple of step up opportunities against Warren Stevelmans and Gago Drago. And somehow, strangely enough, he gets two draws back to back. Super rare to happen, but gets two draws. And you look at that and you look at his career and you say, all right, the book's still out, but he held his own against some elite names. How is he going to do as we continue to push down the story of his career? Unfortunately, it's at this point where we head into a period of time, just like we did with um, Steve Moxon, where we say the opportunity to be great was given to him. He had the opportunity. He had the fights. He just wasn't able to capture the great victories. Wasn't able to do it enough. He has a victory here and there, but he wasn't able to do it consistently, and that's what separates the greats. So, 
Murat Jarecki was a very, very solid win for him. But then he loses to Ali Gunla. And then you've got the Gago Drago victory, which is a huge victory for him. And, you know, as we look back in history. And then we've got uh, Fermin Rodriguez. And then we have a Nikki Holtzkin loss. And then we have an Andy Sauer loss. And then he loses to, or he beats William Dean by KO. I remember that fight. But then he goes back to his losing ways of losing to Florian uh, Abadi. And then he loses to Morocco Gorian in a rematch. Uh, by stoppage, he loses to Chris Nagambe, loses to Hafid El Bostadi, uh, he loses to Sipsicorn, uh, he had this great momentum, and then all of a sudden, he loses 8 of 9, you know, and it's like, um, or excuse me, 7 of 8, and that's right in the middle of his career, right, and what would be considered his prime, right, when people are like, what's this guy going to be, you know, like it's, it showed that brief opportunity where he could have been great. Then he starts to rebuild it a little bit. Gets the Warren Stevelman's victory by stoppage. Gets a Muhammad Kamal victory, which is a huge victory, you know, uh, looking back on it. And gets a victory over Yuvaz Kayabasi. This gets him another opportunity to fight on the big stage. He gets his K-1 opportunity. He had one before. And around 16, he lost to Nicky Holtzkin. Here goes another opportunity. And that opportunity comes against Mike Zambides. Even though... We may forget the career of Shahid Al-Hajj. Like, you may not think about him as a great guy ever. He is in kickboxing history for all time because of the fight with Mike Zambides. The extra-round decision loss to Mike Zambides is still the crowning achievement of his career. Like, he will never get that moment back ever, ever, ever. But that moment will never be taken for him ever, ever, ever. I will go watching my fight forum. I'll just go down the line and I'll look at old fights. I'll look at new fights. I will just go down that list and look at my Facebook page. I'll look at Instagram. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody will post something along the lines of, you guys want to know what kickboxing looks like? You guys want to know what uh, greatness looks like? The greatest fight you've ever seen. Stop what you've seen. Uh, Stop what you're doing. Like That fight is in history forever. That is his resume. When you do have a you know a, a Hall of Fame one day, him and Mike Zambides will go into the Hall of Fame with that fight because it is the greatest kickboxing fight ever. There are fights with more significance. There are probably fights that are action-wise just as equal, but time and space and the way these two guys won the crowd over, you knew you saw something special that night. That is That loss is still his claim to fame in this sport. After it, unfortunately, came the rest of his career. A Rafael Dudek victory, and then a loss to Robin Van Roosmalen, and then a Georgia Petrosian uh, no contest that was there that day. He was losing, but he took a really bad low blow, and he had to go to the hospital. That was horrible. But, like, uh, Robin Van Roosmalen loss came after it. Jabra Askaros loss came after that. Mike Zambides, the second fight, he actually played it like really conservative. He didn't bring the war. Everybody was all excited to see if they'd bring the war and do that again. They did not. They tried to play the game. They tried to keep it simple. Didn't work out. Zambides was better and was able to stop him in the third. So because he didn't return to the style that he fought him the first time, tactically it probably sounded good in his mind, but it was his last opportunity to fight at a high level on an elite you know, stage, and it just didn't go his way. Gets a victory over Edwin Kubus, and then he has a Muhammad Kamal loss as Kamal stops him in their rematch. Robbie Hegeman loss and Norden Van Roosmalen. So the end of his career has got a whole bunch of losses on it. But he had a brief moment where he put it back together in 2010, led to that Mike Zambides fight, 
But before and after it, those are the errors that kept it from happening. And the reason why I talk about how he could have had it, you know what I'm saying? That's why I talked about Lako last week. That's why I talked about the gentleman, you know, Moxon. Uh, it's not that they had wins and losses. It's that they had the opportunity to fight the names, to put them in the elite category, and it just didn't happen. Whether their skill wasn't there, their athleticism wasn't there, the you know coaching or their preparation wasn't there, but most importantly, the main reason is they just ran into somebody who was greater. Those All those contribute to how we look at a fighter, how we look at their era. Haj still, Shahid still, Good fighter, solid name. I will remember him forever, though, for the battle with Mike Zambides. So even though he didn't necessarily have what one would consider a Hall of Fame career, he did have the opportunity, got to fight Holtzkin, got to fight Sauer, got to fight uh, um, Van, uh, Van Roosmalen, got to fight uh, Satsukorn, got to fight Chris Gembe, got to fight guys who Petrosian, got to fight the names, you know, Zambides, got to fight the names. He just wasn't able to get the Ws, and that will keep him from being in anyone's Hall of Fame as far as just looking at his career. But he's in everyone's Hall of Fame if you look at the fight with Mike Zambides. There can be no future Hall of Fame without that. There just can't be it. It's impossible. So thank you guys all for listening to my podcast. I am so grateful for those who have stayed up with it, and uh, I want to do my best to put things out. I apologize for not putting a show in last week, but I am from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the uh the death that happened, um, you know, uh, to to you know to Floyd and the protesting, all of that is where my childhood used to be. A lot of those buildings are burnt down and so on. So my last week was spent, you know, watching the news and kind of getting word back from loved ones, like my mom and like you know, uh, a family that I still have in the area. And I was just getting messages and pictures from people saying, "Do you remember when we used to go here? It's burnt down now." It was a, just a tougher time for me to sit down and put the podcast together. But, uh, you know, I mean, um, I don't share my faith too much. I'm a Christian guy. I love, love people, and I, I've never put my stock into things of the world. But I do think that this position, this this particular death and the response to it, I do hope that it is leading us in a direction where some things that have been overlooked greatly are definitely, you know, criticized and changes made based on it. So it just was a weird time for me last week, and I'm grateful that things are brought to light and they're being examined, and I hope that we can come forward, move forward with solution-oriented things rather than, you know, on with it. You know, sorry that happened. It's just uh, this one was horrible, and I hope that it is addressed as such. So thank you so much for everybody who's listening to the podcast. God bless, and I wish you all the best. Thank you.